Think about a podcast ad about a mattress. No one needs another podcast ad about a mattress, but here's the thing. Your choice of mattress is one of the most important decisions you can make in your life. It's the same thing with infrastructure monitoring. You don't think about it often, but it's one of your most important decisions as an IT professional. So get your monitoring hosted in the cloud with Pessler PRTG Hosted Monitor. Now with 50% off monthly subscriptions for new customers for the first three months. Go to PRTG.com and use the promo code PACKETPUSHERS. That's PRTG.com with the promo code PACKETPUSHERS, all one word. Welcome to Heavy Networking. On today's episode, we talk LACP and link aggregation. And you may wonder, what is there to discuss? After all, bonding two or more links together to act as a single virtual link, that we've been doing that for decades. Well, the point of our discussion today is to differentiate between LACP and link aggregation, because it turns out they are not the same thing, and the distinction matters. Our guest today is instructor Tony Burke, who's been on the show several times before, but Tony, for those people who maybe haven't heard your mellifluous voice in earlier recordings, would you reintroduce yourself to those people? Who are you and what do you do? Hi, uh, my name is Tony Burke. I'm a network instructor, mostly by trade. Um, I've been teaching, mo I've been, I've taught Cisco courses before. To, these days I teach mostly Arista courses and automation, a little bit of Python, and I'm also a skydiving instructor. <laughs> that was my next question. Are you still jumping out of perfectly good airplanes for fun? And it sounds like the answer is yes. Yep, I sure am. <laughs> okay. A lot of fun. <laughs> I've seen some of your pictures, man. It does look like a lot of fun, but there's still something slightly irrational about doing that <laughs> particular hobby, I, I must say. Well, Tony, um, let, let's get into the topic of LACP and link aggregation, because you brought this topic up. You emailed me and wanted to get into this because of some misconceptions you're seeing among your students and so on. So, uh, so give us an introduction. So the idea behind this uh, subject was the fact that I think it's a very pervasive misconception about what LACP does. And LACP gets a lot of the credit for something that it doesn't do. And, you know, someone says, I'm using LACP to divide traffic among links. And it's not really correct. Like I know what you I know what you mean, but it's not really correct. It's like, you know, I don't want to get pedantic about it because no one likes a pedant, but it does show that there is a misunderstanding with the underlying technology. And that's what I want to clear up is just the distinction of what those actual what link aggregation does versus what LACP does. No one likes a pedant, but uh, <laughs> but but in this case, there is some pedantry going on. <laughs> yes. but, it, but it's yeah. needed. It's needed. When yeah. you raise this topic to me in email and I started thinking about it, it's like, I think in a moment of weakness, I might have made that mistake too, although I know exactly what you're talking about. So, uh, and to be clear, I have too. Like, it's, it's, it's a, I had the same misconception for a long time. And then I started teaching, I started getting asked questions and looking into it and realized that my, you know, my conception was wrong. Well, what hit me about this, you, you were saying LACP, Link Aggregation Control Protocol. I used to build uh, link aggregation bundles before the days of LACP, you know, way back in the day. Yeah. Not every Cisco device, for example, supported LACP. You had something called mode on where you would just say, these are in a link bundle and here's the link bundle number and you better get your, your coding right on the opposite switch to make sure that that link bundle was going to function correctly. You could create all sorts of interesting challenges to, to underscore the point here that LACP and link aggregation are in fact different things. Yeah, and then what we also said uh, for, uh, we still have it now, uh, PAGP, it's less common these days, uh, but that was the precursor to LACP and which is a control plane protocol that runs on in concert with link aggregation, but the what they actually do are very different things. 
And I used to do the same thing when I was a server administrator in the 90s. I used to configure these links all the time. I had no idea what I was doing. It was just following instructions. But but yeah, it's a mode on versus mode active or mode. I can't remember what the what the PAGP version was. So you you wrote in our notes here a Cisco exam style question. So I think yes. that would be a perfect thing to uh, to read out as a challenge to the audience. Yeah. So it, the question is, what does LACP do? So it's a multiple choice question. Does LACP A join multiple physical links into a single logical link from a layer two perspective, so that we don't have spanning tree blocking links, so we don't create loops? Does B does it divide uh, traffic across multiple physical paths based on a hash of the packet headers? C, both A and B, or D, none of the above? Now, we've kind of given the answer away already with our with our lead up here. So the, yeah. the answer is, in fact, D, none of right. the above. Although the first time I was looking through this, I was thinking about it going, oh, it uh, it's A. It joins uh, multiple physical links into a single path so that we don't have a spanning tree issue and, and, and so on. But in fact, it's, uh, it's neither one. So, so explain that, Tony. So if we replace LACP with link aggregation, the answer is C, both A and B, because that's what a link aggregation does. It, it combines multiple links together. It modifies the forwarding behavior from traditional 802.1D link um, transparent bridging, which is what, which are the rules that guide all layer two forwarding that we deal with today. So it modifies those rules slightly so that we don't have the problems that would normally be associated with multiple paths. So it uh, allows us to have multiple links forwarding. It turns them into a single logical link. It also has some mechanism to divide traffic across the links, although it's not particularly choosy on the method that you choose. In fact, there's a lot of differences in them, even between um, switches of the same vendor. So link aggregation then uh, does those things and LACP does not do either of those things. It doesn't join links together, doesn't divide traffic using hashing. What the heck does LACP actually do then? Think of LACP as like a miscabling protocol. As it was designed, it was designed to do a lot more things than we actually use it for today. But here's what we use it for today for the most part, other than a couple of edge cases. Every device that's running LACP sends out these LACP PDUs. And it, and it includes a couple of things like a port priority, system priority. But the thing that we really care about, the thing that, that's really important to us in most applications is the system ID. So every device will have a system ID. Typically, it's the system MAC address. It could be some other things too, but you can configure it in a lot of cases. But it's its unique ID that the other end is sending. And it keeps you from making a mistake in, in terms of cabling. So for example, if I had a pair of switches that I was connecting to each other, that doesn't have to be switches. Link aggregation and LACP work for all manner of devices, load balancers, servers, firewalls, routers, et cetera, but let's say two switches. And I accidentally plug one switch into like a coffee maker. So for whatever reason, a coffee maker has a hundred gig interface. So switch one has three links uh, connected to switch two. Switch two has, uh, and, that, and switch one has that fourth link connected to the coffee maker. Switch two has three links and one is doesn't have a link light. If we don't use LACP, the switch one has four link lights, and that's all it takes to be part of the link aggregation group. 
And so all the packets going down that fourth link will go to the coffee maker. The coffee maker is not going to know what to do with it. You're going to have, you're going to black hole one quarter of your traffic algorithmically. Where if you turn on LECP, they're looking for the switch IDs. And if uh, switch one is getting switch two switch ID out of links one, two, and three, and it's not going to get a switch ID from the coffee maker, or maybe the coffee maker is running LECP, but it's giving a different switch ID, it's going to remove it from the lag. And so that's why we call it, a, that's why we call uh, LECP sometimes a dynamic lag. So we don't have to run LECP with link aggregation. We almost always do. And it's a good idea. It's a good reason to do so. And I, I, it's hard to say in networking uh, any absolutes, but I don't think there's any case where we don't want to run LECP with link aggregation unless there's a device that for whatever reason doesn't support it. Another thing that came up in your research that uh, that really caught me by surprise is uh, the standards that are tied to this. I always thought of LACP as 802.3 AD, uh, and then it was uh, there's a later standard 802.1, not 802.11, but 802.1 AX that uh, came up later in 2014. But you you turn uh, as you dug into that standard, that is not LACP. That is in fact the link aggregation standard. Is that right? Correct. So there's a link aggregation standard. It was uh, created in 2000. Uh, vendors were doing basically what it was uh, before that, like Cisco had EtherChannel, and EtherChannel became, is compatible with link aggregation. And so 802.3AD is the link aggregation standard. It modifies the behavior of 802.1D. So we're, we're doing slightly different things with forwarding rules in order to allow this link aggregation to happen. And then LACP is an optional part of 802.3AD. Now, over the years, uh, it has been updated and it's been moved to a different working group. So it's 802.1AX and then uh, 802.1AX 2014. There have been some slight modifications to the standard, although really for what we do, um, 802.3AD, that standard is, is pretty much there. Unfortunately, it's the IEEE, so it's very hard to get a hold of, of those actual standards. You're supposed to pay money for them, but I have peeked at them. 802.1ax, I think that's the interesting one where they actually introduced an open standard for MLAG, where we combine two switches together, present them as a single switch. Uh, Cisco calls it VPC, uh, Juniper calls it MC lag, which is also my rap name. And... <laughs> our, I, I love that calls joke. it M lag and <laughs> yeah, and so on. Um, another uh, vendor calls it V lag, or it's basically we take two switches, we share their forwarding tables, and then we present them from you know system IDs are identical between them typically, and their bridge ID for spanning trees. So we pre that that allows a host to home to two different switches in case we have to do an update on one of the switches or one of the switches fails. Or we can do what's called a back-to-back -back MLAG, where we take two switches that are uh, configured in MLAG and then another two switches that are configured in MLAG and connect them together. And sometimes we call that a bow tie. Now, was that widely adopted, the a standardized version of MLAG? Because... Uh... Yeah, you know, my recollection of it was there was a lot of very proprietary ways that vendors were doing this, and they were not interoperable, and and never the twain shall meet. But uh, with the standard being there, was that did vendors end up adopting that? No, well, I think HP did, and I don't think many other vendors did because it's it's one of those things where it's okay that it's proprietary because the like with VPC or MLAG or MC lag. The vendors generally require that the two switches be the same vendor. 
anyone implementing it is probably going to have two switches be the same vendor, whether the the standard is is open or not. And in most cases, they have to be the same switch. They have to be the same model. Like they don't really support long, maybe if you're doing an upgrade, but they don't really support long-term having two different models of switches in the same emblem. In fact, I don't even like them to be the the different versions of the of the of the NOS, so network operating system. So huh. even though there is an open standard, there doesn't really need to be one, I don't think, at least from a practical perspective. I mean, it's cool that there is, but you know, Arista is not going to, well, I, I don't speak for any of the vendors, but I don't think Arista is going to go through the trouble of create, of implementing that standard when everyone's just going to plug two Arista devices to, into each other. Juniper is not going to go through the standard just to plug two Junipers when they've already got a perfectly, you know, Cisco Arista. They're not going to go through that trouble when they've got a perfectly good method to do it themselves. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, you know, plus you get into the, uh, the product differentiation that vendors always talk about you know the, the way we do mlag is magical and special and you should but 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 it only works if you have all of our stuff so that we can give you the magic and if you try yeah. to do it with the multiple vendors then uh, gosh we couldn't guarantee that it would work it might not work right yeah and, and now in fairness some uh, like making a bundle on the same switch ideally the same switch model with even the same version of nos i can particularly see that i can think of different asic reasons why you might certainly want that to be the case just to get yeah. you know identical and predictable performance off of each chip is there you know pushing data out in moments of congestion and have your hashing and distribution schemes be uh, predictable from uh, switch to switch and so on and then getting into troubleshooting as well i could see you really kind of want everything to be same same yeah but i you know and I, I guess if some customer really wanted it and had enough money to spend and said, hey, you know, Arista and Juniper, let's say, would you two guys make this MLAG interoperability <laughs> thing work? Maybe it would happen. But other than that, without a, a big enough customer with big enough pockets asking for it, it's hard to imagine why anyone would really want that to happen. Hmm. Yeah, especially when like even like, you know, so it's proprietary, but only between the two switches in the MLAG pair. So if I have like two Juniper switches and I want to connect them to two Arista switches, if the two Juniper switches are in an MLAG pair or MC lag pair and the two Arista switches are in an MLAG pair, that'll work. You can connect the two pairs to each other using just traditional link aggregation. But yes, it's only yes, between, yes. yeah, it's only between those two switches where that's where the the proprietary sauce is. And I think that's fine. It's It's not a, you know, it's cool that they did it. It's cool that they made an open standard, but I don't, I don't really see the vendors implementing it uh, other than HP. And I think, I don't, I'm not sure why they did it. Maybe they wanted to, they just needed an MLAG and that's what they, they chose the open standard, which, you know, cool for them. But uh, I don't see the other vendors implementing it. Well, we went down the MLAG rabbit hole for a, for a minute there, but what else is in this? Uh, well, now it would be the 802.1 AX 2014 standard. We were able to bundle ports together. Um, what, what else is identified in that standard? There's a couple of things that no one really uses. Um, for example, uh, one of the one of the things that the misconception of LECP is that LECP chooses the hashing mechanism, the load balancing mechanism. It does not. In 802.1ax, uh, there's also a 2008 version, and I can't remember if it's in the 2008 version or the 2014 version for 802.ax. But there is a way to suggest to the other side in a PDU which hashing mechanism you want to use. But I don't know of any vendor that implements it. So um, pretty much the way that every vendor that I know of implements 
link aggregation, they're pretty much following the old standard, the 802.3 AD. There's nothing really that they're adding along uh, with 802.1AX, uh, maybe a couple of things here and there, but they're not implementing. It is, I think most of those things are optional, at least I've never seen them in any vendor. So when implementing this, then I am, I, I'm usually, I, I mean, I've, I've assigned hashes of, of different kinds and it's always been with my work on Cisco gear. And there's, it depends on the chipset, what hashing yeah. uh, methods are available. You could always hash on Mac address. Uh, you could hash on IP address, or then you could typically hash on IP and then some flavor of ports. It could read deeper into the IP header and give you a, a TCP or UDP port and it could hash on that as well. And then depending on what the nature of the traffic was going through the the lag bundle, you'd make an intelligent choice. You know, oftentimes the Ethernet MAC address could be a poor choice if you're sending between two routers, let's say, because yeah. the MAC address is never going to change. So your hash would never, never change. You're not going to get a very good load distribution using that hash method. But if you could read in at layer three and you were sending to a bunch of different source and destination addresses, then you'd get a, a pretty even distribution uh, using those hash methods. Is there a particular way you, you teach that, Tony, or best practices that you recommend? Well, let's take a step back. Let's let's talk about. I think it would help to talk about. I've been mentioning that that 802.3ad and 802.1ax they modify the behavior of how we forward traffic. So they're they're modifying the rules that we have for layer two. So let's talk about some of the layer two rules. So all of our layer two switches follow the guidelines set forth or the the forwarding rules set forth in 802.1d, which is transparent bridging which we generally associate with spanning trees. So spanning tree is a part of 802.1D, but 802.1D also talks about how we do forwarding. So you know, it's it's been around for a long, long time. I think it was standardized in the 80s, uh, if I remember correctly, and it may not, but it's been around for quite a while. And we have switches, bridges, and we have MAC addresses, and we have to forward the MAC addresses to where they want to go. But as you, as you know, and most of the audience members know, we don't have a routing protocol for layer two, except when we do EVPN, but that's a whole separate thing. Right. We don't have a routing protocol for layer two. So how do we switch one know where a host on switch two is connected? How does a switch one even know to send to switch two? And that's a switch three or switch four. If we get a frame that comes in uh, on a port. Well, if we haven't learned it yet, it, we don't know. And it's a, it's a broadcast. It's an unknown unicast uh, that goes right. out. Yeah, so one of the rules, so we we have this, this forwarding table on a, every switch and we have to populate that forwarding table. And the way that we populate it is by listening, by by uh, looking at the, at the MAC addresses that come in. And we look at the source MAC address when it comes in on an interface and then we mark it down. Okay, so... This MAC address came on Ethernet 1. I'm going to put that into my forwarding table that if I need to forward a frame to this MAC address, MAC address A, for example, I'm going to put that on Ethernet 1. MAC address B came on Ethernet 2, put that in the forwarding table. We also have flood rules. So there's different types of flood frames. So the rule is if we get a broadcast, unknown unicast, or multicast, then we flood it. It goes out every port on that VLAN. And once we learn a frame, it's no longer unknown unicast. So if we have a match on our forwarding table, then we send it out that interface. So forget about, well, not forget about, but let's just bundle 
the bum frames broadcast on a noon cast multicast into a frame that we need to flood because we do make a lot of modifications in forwarding behavior. Like for example, IGMP snooping modifies the M part of that. So we don't flood all multicast frames. We only flood them to the ports that have subscribed to that particular multicast group. So we get a flood frame that comes in, we're going to flood that flood frame. If we get a unicast frame that comes in and we know what to do with it, then we forward it to the appropriate port. That's our normal layer two behavior. That's also why we can't have more than one path. Ethernet cannot handle using traditional, the, the 802.1D rules, a case where we have more than one path to get from one MAC address to the other. It, it'll cause two things generally that are bad. A broadcast storm, because we're looping the frames around and Ethernet frames are like Highlander. They never die. They, no time to live. They never die. Yep. <laughs> right. No TTLs. So they just keep looping through. And then also we have Mac flapping because when a frame comes in and we don't know what, and it comes in from an interface, we mark it in our forwarding table. If it comes in a different interface, then we change it. And then it comes in a different interface again. It, it's go, packets are coming or frames are coming in on two different links. The same MAC address, our forwarding table keeps getting rewritten. And that's bad. It's MAC flapping. So those are two bad things. So if we want to have two links active, we have to modify that forwarding behavior. So we create a lag, a link aggregation group. Now, different vendors have different names for this. Um, in Cisco and Arista, we call it a port channel. Um, other vendors call it different things. But we're going to take these, these links together and we're going to combine them into a single link, which means a couple of things. So when a frame enters a switch on one of these links, we don't send it out the other links of the same member of the lag. So that prevents the looping or the, the Mac flapping and some of the broadcast storms that might occur. Also, when a frame comes in on a switch, we market the source Mac, we, we market that it came from the lag and not the individual link. Right. Yes. When you look at the bridging table, you're going to see it as whatever the local switch's nomenclature is for that lag as opposed to the physical port. Yeah. Right. Lag one, port channel one, whatever it is. So we're treating them in the forwarding table like a single link. We're treating it from the flood behavior as a single link. So if a frame comes in one interface, we don't send that flood frame the out the out the other interfaces that we would normally do if we were behaving like a regular switch without link aggregation. So we're modifying our behaviors. There's no protocol in this, just like there's no protocol if for the forwarding tables in layer two. We've got it defined in the standard of 802.3 AD back in the day and now 802.1 AX, but that is not link aggregation control protocol. We are describing link aggregation broadly for all of this behavior modification to the way we build forwarding tables and switches and bridges. Right. So it's a, it's a shared set of behaviors. It's kind of like in, in North America and most parts of Europe, when you're driving down the road, you drive on the right side. The other person coming towards you is also driving on the right side. So we don't have a head on collision. There's no communication that needs to happen between me and the other driver to negotiate which side of the road we drive on. So in you know, other parts of the world, they also, they do the opposite, but, but there's just, there's a local standard that everyone agrees to, to behave by. And that's what uh, layer two forwarding is. It's a, it's a agreed upon set of behaviors. And then when I connect one switch to another switch, it's an agreed upon set of behaviors that we're going to, to follow for link aggregation. So it's a standard, not a protocol. 
but there's an optional part of the protocol and that's LACP. Got it. Okay. Let's pause the conversation for a message from sponsor Pessler. If you're a regular podcast listener, you've heard countless mattress ads. Now, Packet Pushers is not the kind of podcast where you'd hear a mattress ad, but maybe this is the closest we'll get. Now, the thing is, the only time you really think about your mattress is when it causes you aches and pains. That's why your choice of mattress is one of the most important decisions you can make. It's the same thing with monitoring. Your monitoring solution shouldn't cause you any aches, and you shouldn't need to think about it. It's one of your most important decisions as an IT professional. Pessler PRTG monitoring software has been on the market for over 20 years and has over 500,000 users worldwide. Pessler PRTG Hosted Monitor is their cloud-based solution, which means Pessler takes care of updates, backups, and maintenance, and you just focus on monitoring. It's vendor agnostic with support for SNMP, WMI, flow protocols, and much more. Setup and configuration is quick. You can be monitoring within minutes without even installing any hardware. You get real-time dashboards and customizable notifications, and pricing is flexible. You have the choice of monthly or annual subscriptions based on the number of devices you need to monitor, so you can scale as needed. And Pessler is giving new customers 50% off their monthly subscription for the first three months. Go to PRTG.com, that's PRTG.com, and use the promo code PACKETPUSHERS, all one word, to take advantage of this offer. And make sure you always sleep soundly on a comfy mattress with a comprehensive monitoring tool. This offer ends October 2023. Now back to the podcast. LACP, then, you already described earlier, just adds on that the, the knowledge that you're talking to the switch you expect to be talking to on the other side to help you with the uh, the miscabling problem. Yeah, and I can tell yeah. you from experience that you know the benefit there is very real. I think anybody listening that's been in this situation would get this. Back in the days of uh, what I would describe as mode on, where we weren't using any kind of control protocol, we were just writing within the switch configurations on both ends of the lag bundle we were creating. You're a member and you're a member, you're a member and you're a member. So let's say it's a two by two with two switches on either end. If then you go in and plug them into the wrong port, there's nothing stopping you from doing it. There's no control protocol that's paying attention. Uh, there's no BPDUs uh, going back and forth. To There's no control packets going back and forth with a switch identifier to tell you that you have it right or that you don't have it right, in fact, and can shut things down or not bring a link up to prevent a loop from forming, let's say, which if you cabled it wrong is probably what you're going to do you're going to create a loop because you'll be forwarding on that port. There's nothing to stop that port from coming up and acting like any other uh, switch port. And in fact, that's a scenario I faced back in the day before we, uh, in a particular shop I was in, standardized in LACP. Part of our standard build was uh, was mode on because that's what we needed to do at the time because of the version of Cisco IOS that we were on. LACP wasn't an option. PAGP wasn't supported or something along those lines. There was a reason that we settled on mode on and uh, and miscabling would cause a uh, cause a fire drill. OK, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> so and so that's in there on the data center right now on that switch and that rack. Unplug whatever you plugged in. Just pull it out right now. And um, yeah, and drama would ensue. LACP prevented that when we finally were able to migrate to that as our standard. Yeah, when you when you create a link aggregation group or whatever the vendor calls it, when you create a port channel or whatever, you have the two options. You can either do a, a static lag or a dynamic lag. And the dynamic part is LACP or PAGP. And that's that's the negotiation where we're sending the LACP PDUs with the system ID. And and so that's what we want because the static lag, this is a link light, it's throwing packets over that over that link. With LACP, it's checking to see that all of the links have the same 
system ID before it'll add it to the bundle. And if it doesn't see them, it'll remove it from the bundle. There's other things that LACP was meant to do. Like if I had eight links and for some reason I only wanted four of them to be active, it'll negotiate which of the four are going to be active and which of the four are going to be standby. But I don't think I've ever done, you know, that I'm just going to light up all the links. I'm going to light up all eight links or whatever. I don't think I've ever done that where I'm using LACP to pick which link is active and which link is standby. And I don't think anyone really does, but that's part of the standard. And that's why we have things like port priority and switch priority, but we just we generally don't care about those. What we care about is the system ID, which is which is what's keeping us from getting ourselves into trouble. Well, back to my question about hashing then. Are we ready to talk about that, Tony? Or is there more background we should hit first? No, that yeah, yeah. So we've we've changed the forwarding behavior of layer two to allow us to have these multiple links. So now we have to have a method to divide traffic against these multiple links. So how do I do that? Uh, we've got a couple of options uh, depending on the vendor or depending on the vendor, depending on the implementation. The one option that we never use, or at least, you know, we can't really say never or always in networking, but the one option that we almost never use is just round robin. Uh, frame here, frame here, frame here. We just divide the frames across the links. The reason why we don't do that is because of out of order delivery. Uh, and generally, one of our commandments in networking is to deliver packets in order. And we can't guarantee that across a lag if we're just spraying packets across the available links. Because different interfaces have different ingress and egress buffering, depending on the platform. And it's like going to the grocery store and you get in one queue and you get in the shortest queue, but your line doesn't move as quickly as the other one. And the person that should be behind you is already checked out and you're still like unloading your groceries. So we want to avoid that. So all of the frames, all the packets that are related to each other, part of a TCP connection, part of a UDP flow should go over the same path. And the only way to do that is to do a deterministic um, load balancing mechanism so that all frames that are related are going to go over the same link. And we, and we're, I'm talking frames here, but we're also talking packets because that's what's inside the frames. And we're going to look at the headers for layer two, layer three, layer four, and most platforms today default to looking at all of those. So we have to have some sort of method which of these links to use. So we generally will do a hash of those packets. Now, one of the other misconceptions that we sometimes run into with link aggregation is, uh, I'll, I'll pose this question to you. And you, you know, the way I'm asking, you, you can probably figure out the answer, but uh, does it, is it required that the hashing, that the load balancing mechanisms on both ends of a lag, do they need to match? No, they wouldn't, be, wouldn't have any knowledge about that one way or the other. Correct. Yeah, they don't need to match and they almost never do. For example, if I'm doing a lag between an ESXi, a VMware ESXi host, and I'm plugging it into two switches, doesn't matter the vendor of the two switches, but I'm doing, uh, I'm using link aggregation. By the way, VMware doesn't call it link aggregation. They call it uh, route based on IP hash, which is a whole other thing. So I'm using route based on uh, IP hash. I can use LACP in addition to that, uh, if I'm running the uh, distributed virtual switch uh, with the enterprise plus license or whatever it is. And the, the load balancing mechanism for VMware is to hash only the layer three header and only the last octet. So it's doing some sort of mathematical calculation 
and coming up with a, a number and that'll tell it whether that's sent it over link one or link two. So it's, so no switch I know of, no physical switch I know of does that particular hashing mechanism. Most of the switches I know of do a hash, the layer two, layer three, layer four, do some sort of polynomial and comes up with a value. And then that's how it does, that's how it picks the link. So you'll often have two different devices in a link aggregation and they send their, they, the way that they pick the traffic is completely different than the other side. Even two vendors or even, even a same vendor with two different models of switches, one switch might have a Trident two and one switch might have a Trident three. And the method, the way that they do hashing may be different. I don't, I don't actually know because the vendors don't really tell us much about how these hashing mechanisms work anymore. Um, no, it's going to be it's going to be based on in, in part the capability of the ASIC and what they can do yeah. at wire speed. Uh, yeah. They're not going to want to slow things down to make that hashing decision and uh, and then be able to forward that frame across the Ethernet link. They're not going to want to have to slow down and think about it. So it's whatever the ASIC can do at wire speed. It's kind of interesting the way you describe the VMware vSwitch where it's looking at a particular octet. That's happening in software. They're going to be looking at the whole frame they got the whole thing they got the entire ip packet they can hash on any field that they want to and it shouldn't cause them any performance penalty i would assume uh one way or the other i'm making a lot of assumptions here yeah because there is tcp offloading that can happen in cards and other other things like that but uh but they it just kind of gives them a little more flexibility to give them i assume they would make the decision they made about that last octet because they think they're going to get a pretty even load distribution out of that yeah, they can't. They can't really use. Uh, well, I guess they could use MAC address, but um, it's better if they use IP address uh, because you'll from the same host, the same VM is going to have one MAC address. So otherwise, you would basically be pinning a VM to a particular MAC or particular particular uplink. Whereas if you're doing based on IP, at least it's spreading across the available links. Mm. Um, and I, I presume, and I'm not sure, I presume that they're just doing the last octet to reduce the CPU cost of calculating the hash for every packet. Mm. In fact, that's one of the concerns. It's one of the, um, a lot of VMware administrators that I know of are sometimes cost, they don't want to do link aggregation because of the, because it's got to hash, it's got to do a hash for every packet. It's got to do it in the CPU. Although I've never seen that be an issue. That's a concern because you know, at least uh, theoretically, it should be uh, slightly higher CPU utilization, but I've never really seen it cause much of an issue. So picking the hash method that's appropriate is going to be dependent on, on two things and, and add whatever I'm, I'm missing here, Tony. But in my mind, it was always, first of all, what is the platform capable of? Not every platform yeah. is capable of the same hashing that everything else is, as we were just discussing. And then also, what is the nature of the traffic crossing the link? So you got to think about what's going. You don't want to hash on a value that never changes because you could get up with a with an overloaded member of your, of your lag bundle because you may be hashing primarily to that one link if you're hashing on again mac address and you're you're talking between two ethernet hosts that never change then your mac address doesn't change if if that's the nature of what's going over that link but if you're across a link where there's a variety of servers there's a variety of tcp and udp conversations with a bunch of different port numbers that are uh, uh often very random in uh in in nature where the destination port might not change much but the source port changes all the time and you hash on that you're more likely to get a more even distribution uh in that way but it's never going to be a perfect distribution is it tony 
No, it's never going to be perfect. Uh, link lags love variety. They love a variety of MAC addresses, IP addresses, TCP need to be ports. That's what they use for their algorithms. They love a good variety, but um, it's not perfect load balancing. As long as you have a decent amount of variety, it will look pretty close to it. Um, but you can always have what we sometimes refer to as elephant flows, where if you have one TCP connection that's pushing a ton of traffic, you can saturate one of those links, and the other links will be uh, will be idle or close to idle. Uh, we call that an elephant flow. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you could have a UDP stream that's doing that, although generally we don't see that too much with UDP, um, just to the nature of the protocols that run on top of UDP, but it's possible. We love variety. And, and um, in fact, that's one of the reasons why I think that NVGRE didn't do as well as VXLAN is in terms of an encapsulation. Because VXLAN uses the same destination port, uses UDP, but it'll it'll do a hash of the inner packets to generate kind of a random source port. So that'll spread traffic, encapsulated VXLAN traffic across multiple links. GRE didn't do that. GRE not being a TCP or UDP protocol, there was like a GRE, I can't remember what it was, like a GRE ID or something like that, but I don't think many switches had the ability to, to, to put that into the hash. So a lot of the GRE, NVGRE uh, packets were encapsulated and they all just went over a single link. So uh, it, didn't, it didn't get divided across links. If I, if, I, if I remember correctly, I may not be remembering that correctly. So we need a good variety. And it used to be, so this is one of those technology anachronisms. It used to be that we should, when we created a lag, an ether channel, port channel, whatever, we should do it in a power of two. And that's because the hash that I'm talking about used to be a three-bit hash. So old catalyst, you know, think about switches in the 90s, early 2000s. We would have a switch that would have a three-bit hash. So three bits means we can count to eight. And I would have eight buckets. Every packet would get one of eight paths. So it didn't matter how many links I had. I had eight possible paths. I would, If I had two links, I would assign four paths to one link and four paths to another link or four hashes, four hash buckets to one link and four hash buckets to the other link. If I had, um, if I had four links, I would do two to each. And if I had eight links, I would just do one per, per link. That's why uh, link aggregation was initially... Uh, confined to eight eight links in a lag. Uh, some vendors support more now. So we only had three bits. Most of the vendors today don't use a three-bit hash. They use something higher, like an eight-bit hash or even higher. So we don't really have that requirement anymore that we have to do a lag that has a power of two. So we can do three-link lags, five-link lags, six-link lags, and the traffic distribution is basically the same slightly off depending on what the hash is, but it's like within one or 2% instead of like 33% that we had when we had the power of two rule. So we don't have the power of two rule anymore for most equipment. So like, for example, like Arista, I don't think they've ever sold anything that that had the power of two. Uh, most of anything modern from Cisco doesn't have the power of two rule. So it doesn't matter anymore in terms of powers of two. There is an interesting point to raise here that we haven't mentioned yet. In some ways, I feel like uh, link aggregation is kind of ancient technology. And in the speeds of that we get with modern Ethernet, where you can get 25, 50, 100, 400, 800 now uh, links, the interesting technology we would use for parallelism is ECMP happening at layer three between, you know, up at, up at the routing protocol level 
and we don't really think about this so much down at layer two, or, or am I wrong in that assumption? Do you still see link aggregation as being an important design consideration for folks building out data centers and so on? It's, it's going to be an important design uh, decision because we're almost always going to do uh, link aggregation from the host to the leaf. So, uh, or from like a blade switch to a leaf, because that's always, not always, but it's primarily going to be layer two. Um, in some cases, it's layer three, but most of the time it's layer two. So we're going to have some sort of um, link aggregation there. Uh, if we're doing traditional uh, core access aggregation with SVIs and VLANs that, that we've been doing since about 2008, uh, 2006, then we're still going to have lags everywhere. We're going to have back-to-back -back M, M lags everywhere, bow ties. If we're doing EVPN, yeah, you're right. We're not really doing link aggregation in the fabric. We're doing ECMP. The same rules apply. Like the um, we're hashing based on their headers and it uses in, in many cases, it probably uses the same circuitry to calculate the hash. So yeah, we, we, it's not as prevalent in certain networks, in certain data center networks, but we still use it all the time in the campus, in the wired campus, and we still use it all the time for host connectivity. So it's it's not going away anytime soon, and and um, it's pretty easy to configure. Yeah, pretty easy to configure. Everyone takes it for granted these days. In fact, um, uh, one other point I wanted to raise is uh, goes back to our discussion of those uh, elephant flows and such. Um, and the, and comparing that versus round robin. So you made the point that uh, you don't do round robin because uh, you can't you can't guarantee your packets are going to arrive in order, and you want to avoid out of order packets and having to placing a burden to on uh, the receivers to uh, reassemble those packets in the correct order. Okay. I think Brocade actually did offer that as an option. They had some way to guarantee in-order packets. That's kind of a you know an, an asterisk right. footnote from way back in the day. Does that ring a bell with you? It does. In fact, I remember you and I were at a, a tech field day together when they were doing that presentation, and I thought that was a very interesting technology. I don't know that it's still around. I haven't heard about it in a while. Um, so this is probably back in, what, 2011 that we, somewhere around this? Gosh, time frame. 11, 12, 13, somewhere back in there when uh, layer two fabrics were all the rage and Trill was going to save us all. Yeah. Yeah. They had VCS, which was based on Trill. And about that time, Cisco came out with Fabric Path. And of course, neither of those really went anywhere. Uh, neither did really Trill, although I think it's used in one vendor's fabric still today, but not a vendor that has like a significant market share in the data center. So they're, yeah, they're, they had some method and I don't remember what the secret sauce was for that. It does remind me of another technology that can combine multiple links together, but we don't see it outside the switch called MLD, multi-lane distribution. So think about the, the 100 gig standard. It's typically four lanes of 25 gig. So how do we combine those links together? Well, it, it actually does sub-packet uh, load balancing that in, and it guarantees in order, to in, in order delivery so that's how we get, so we got the 40 gig interfaces. They were four lanes of 10 gig. And we got the 100 gig interfaces, which are four lanes of uh, 25 gig. And now how we get the 400 gig interfaces, which are four lanes of 50 gig running PAM4, which encodes two bits per cycle. So it's really 100 gig, even though it's a 50 gig 30s. And that's how we get those, those uh, whatever, but we never really see them outside of the switch. It's just combining the links yeah. to give you a 100 gig port on the front. Yeah, generally we don't have the ability to, to combine them um, 
to combine them the way that uh, the brocade did. I don't. I wonder how they did it. I actually don't remember what the secret sauce was for that. Remember, we'd have to talk to. Uh, oh, there's a few people we could uh, we could tap yeah. on the show and go. You remember ten years ago? <laughs> how did <Yeah>. that work? <laughs> so the only other point I wanted to make about that is if you've got say. Uh, a four by one gigabit per second lag, you could have two hosts that are at 10, 10 gig connected at the edge somewhere. Once they yeah. hit that four by one gigabit per second lag, um, they're throttled to not four gig, but one gig if it's a single stream going between those two 10 gig attached hosts. It's just kind of the, the point I wanted to make because that conversation is going to get hashed across one link in that four yeah. by one gig uh, bundle. Just wanted people to to think about that. Since we're not doing the round robin thing because of out of order packets, what you end up with is this scenario of um you know of of a single gig that you're throttled to in that particular scenario. Something to keep in mind as you're doing design and planning throughput and all of that. You can't slam a lag in and expect two 10 gig connected hosts at the other end to be able to use the entirety of the lag. They're probably not going to be able to do that. Yeah, we're just adding more lanes. We're not adding, we're not processing or forwarding the packets any faster. So it's you know certainly beneficial in most cases to add more lanes. In fact, sometimes that's the only thing you can do is add more lanes because adding more links on a lag is a lot easier than replacing a switch, making you know, going from a 10 gig to a 25 gig, going from a 40 gig to 100 gig, 100 gig to 400 gig. That's a that's a rip and replace, whereas a lag, you can just bundle more links together. And one final point I'll make, having worked with an awful lot of lags in my life, is it's a it's a classic gray failure scenario. You can have an optic go bad, one out of say eight optics in a in a four by uh, link aggregation bundle. One of those optics goes bad. The gray failure manifests itself in occasionally you get this bizarre huh, this transaction didn't complete or there was a lot of latency in it and it's sporadic. It doesn't always happen. It's once in a while. We can't find it in the database. It's not It's not in the front end processing. Is it? Is it in the network? And you're going, I don't know, everything's fine. And it turns out it's one member of a link aggregation bundle has got a problem and you're going to ferret that out by looking at things like physical ethernet interface counters or you getting an excessive number of out discards or you know badly formed ethernet frames that get discarded because they're runts or giants or there's some other kind of a, a feck problem uh something like that that's being logged that if you're not looking out for that kind of a thing it's going to seem like the lag is fine and it's forwarding traffic except that once in a while some little conversation gets uh sent across there and someone at the application level notices that their app isn't performing well as a transaction traverses your lag and you got to dig in to figure that out uh and some switches tony have layer two traceroute tools that can help you actually know what member of the link uh in a link aggregation bundle a particular conversation went across there's a few switches that i know we're able to do that. i don't know if that's become more common in uh, later switches or not it used to be a novelty back in the day yeah yeah i think some switches do um and in it you know that that kind of issue is the same as it is for lag as it is for a single link. If you you can have, you know, we've all experienced weirdness in links, um, whether it's uh, a bad cable, a bad signal, uh, bad voltages, or you know, bad optic, or whatever, where it's like kind of up but not completely up, and and that'll be the case uh, for for anything, including including individual links in a lag. Well, Tony, we spent 45 minutes talking about link aggregation and LACP. I didn't, I didn't actually expect this conversation to go on this long. Is there anything we missed that we uh, you wanted to mention that we didn't cover? 
Uh, two things. Uh, one, the, you know, the whole point about this is we're giving credit to LACP where LACP doesn't deserve the credit. Now, LACP does perform an important job. It's there to keep us from miscabling or, you know, it's there to keep us from the consequences of miscabling because it's looking for the system ID on the other end to make sure they all match and everything's plugged in the right way. But it doesn't divide traffic between links. It doesn't um, pick the hashing mechanism or anything like that, that we generally have tended to, including myself, have thought that it did. And the other thing is, and I think the reason for this, part of the reason for this is it's just not, one, it's not taught very well. It's not taught very, you know, very commonly. And um, different vendors have different names for the same thing. So for example, Cisco, they called it Ether Channel. And um, after a while, they named it, renamed it Port Channel. Although you'll still see Ether Channel used sometimes in the documents. Um, do you know the the kind of the fun reason why they renamed it from Ether Channel to Port Channel? I do not know. I, uh, I, I learned this from uh, um, Terry Jenkins, uh, who's an instructor uh, that I used to work with. And I work with him now at uh, Arista. Uh, it's tab completion. So oh. when... <laughs> sure, when the devices, yeah. yeah, when the devices started getting tab completion, which is, which I'm sure you, you will agree is a really awesome thing. If I was typing in, uh, you know, interface Ethernet one or Ether Channel one, I have to type a lot of. I you have to go like five characters deep before I hit something unique where I can hit tab and it will autocomplete. Whereas port channel, that's no problem. I hit P, hit tab, autocompletes the port channel. So they went from Ether Channel to port channel. Some vendors call it a trunk, whereas most of the time when we consider a trunk, that's multiple VLANs on a link like 802.1Q VLAN tagging. Uh, but some vendors call bundling links together a trunk. Um, VMware calls it route-based and IP hash. Microsoft calls it switch-dependent NIC teaming. And Linux calls it uh, mode zero, one, two, and four, I think. I can't remember. Four <laughs> is the one that uses LACP. So uh, uh, Nick bonding. So every vendor kind of comes up with its own term for this. So, you know, that's another one of the the challenges with learning the ins and outs of link aggregation is they all call it something different, but it's, it's the same thing for the most part. Hmm. Well, Tony, again, spectacular conversation. And if people want to follow up with you or just check out what you're doing online, how do they reach out to you? I can be found uh, primarily on Twitter at T Burke. That's at T-B-O-U-R-K-E. And I'm, uh, you can find me on YouTube as Tony Burke as well. I've got some, <laughs> my YouTube channel needs to be divided, at, at bifurcated at this point because it's half skydiving videos, instructional <laughs> videos, like what parachute to pick. And then half like, here's how networking works in VMware. <laughs> you pick the parachute that doesn't rely on spanning tree <laughs> convergence timers. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, thanks for showing up, Tony, in my inbox and uh, pitching this idea is a great show, great discussion. I enjoyed it. And I hope you out there enjoyed this show on link aggregation at LACP. I'd like to think that Tony was able to dispel some myths for you. And if you like podcasts like this, and I know you do, check out all of the shows for your professional development in the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. Search for Packet Pushers in your podcast client. Visit the subscribe page that we have up at PacketPushers.net and you will find the entire lineup. We keep adding shows. Our latest edition is the Heavy Wireless Podcast with instructor and managing director of the Wireless LAN Professionals Conference, Keith Parsons. 
We have a Slack group that you can join too. It's marketing free chat about networking, cloud, and other infrastructure stuff you care about all at packetpushers.net slash Slack. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly newsletter, Human Infrastructure Magazine. Every Thursday night, you can get some news, blogs, and industry announcements along with a few nerdy lulls. We keep up with what's going on so that you don't have to. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.